0: Welcome, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I am your host, Jeff Z. Jeffrey Salagi. So glad to have you here. Season one is afoot and we are kicking it off by exploring not just human nature, but particularly the facet of fathers and fathering, the impact and the influence they have on the lives of my guests. Hold tight, stay tuned and listen in because we are about to journey into a series of conversations It is incredible. Let's get into it. Let's get started. Here we go. Welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm Jeffrey Salagi, your host and guide. My guest today is my friend and ally, Jonah Larkin. Jonah Larkin's with Warrior Energy. He's a performance and habit expert. Uh, Jonah, welcome to today's podcast.
1: Thanks, Jeffrey. Too kind. I'm, I'm definitely excited to be here and excited to be part of your project.
0: Yeah, as you know, this project is around fathering and the impact of fathers and our relationships with them. So in a little bit, um, I do want to talk about your relationship with your father and, and who he is and who he has been to you in your life and how that relationship shaped you and um, both uh, as something to move towards and away from. But before that, I just want uh, our listeners to get to know you a little bit. I've had a chance to get to know you over the past six years, and we've had both a friendship and a business partnership. At this point in our journey, we're, we're headed our separate ways, which has been, I think, in a lot of ways, really healthy for us. Uh, one of the wonderful things about our individuation on our project, which was was How Humans Work, formerly known as Evoke, is to see you really start to shine In a way, and I think you've found something really important and useful. And I see you leveraging that through um, how you're articulating vitality through habit and performance. So tell me a little bit about how you found your way into that um, domain of, of focusing on
1: performance and habits. Yeah, well, thanks, Jeffrey. Um, yeah, great question. And, and I actually very much agree with you, you know, uh, how humans work was uh, quite a quite a journey for both of us. Um, and likewise, I've seen you, you know, take this whole uh, domain around stress intelligence and the intelligence of stress, which nobody else is really talking about in the way that you are, nor to the depth that you are. And so I just want to um, repeat that appreciation back at you. Uh, But to answer your question, it came about a bit intuitively, I would have to say. Um, You know, they say you teach the things that you need to learn. And I truly, truly believe that because I see even, you know, the most famous teachers in the world, the Tony Robbins of the world and all all these folks, you know, we look at them and we think, That they kind of have their their shit together. And um, they don't, because none of us really, truly do. You know, Stephen Levine said, if somebody says uh, they don't have any shit, they're probably standing in it. (laughs) But uh, I came to the habit thing sort of intuitively out of creating a morning routine and realizing how much better I did by uh, waking up and meditating and doing some breath work and drinking some water and setting an intention for the day. And I just realized like how big of an impact that started to have on my life. So it just kind of extended from there. I was like, wow, you know, this, this morning rhythm routine thing is pretty powerful. And, uh, you know, I know I've read about it a lot and all of that, but I never really appreciated the depth of it. And so that's what got me started on the journey was just that a kind of intuitive hit of of doing it and seeing the effect of it compounding. And what, and what did you see or what was your experience of the effect of making a morning routine? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, one is just... I was waking up and like getting focused before I started work. And because of the way my brain works, I have a very creative brain and I'm liable to go off in a million different directions. And so it's very easy for me to get off track. And so just setting my intention and kind of visualizing where I wanted to be that day has been incredibly helpful. The other part of it is giving myself space to feel how I'm dealing and just like, Oh, this is coming up or that's coming up. I mean, as you know, in meditation, like things just pop up that you're like, Oh my God, I can't remember. I forgot that.
0: So when you're doing your morning meditation, then you're not actually doing a strict meditation of trying to silence the mind. No. Okay. What is it you're doing? No. Cause I
1: think you're, you're hinting at it. Again, it's very intuitive. Uh, but what I'm doing right now is I am. Uh, I have a couple of mantras that I say to get myself very centered, and then I do some uh, basic just energy energy flow work, um, bringing in earth energy and bringing in heaven energy, and then I and then I actually visualize. Um, I'm really working with visualization right now and asking for inspiration around what it is that I'm trying to visualize. So instead of me trying to create the visualization in my mind, I'm asking for inspiration to visualize the things that I want to create. And that's working. It does. There does seem to be, uh, some effect that when I visualize things very clearly, oftentimes I will have the experience of having something happen. That's surprising. And so do I know for sure X equals Y? No, I don't, but I have this suspicion Uh that there's something, it has something to do with that.
0: You're feeling a relationship there. I know from my uh, side of of your life, I'm watching you and I'm actually seeing a different level of productivity, a different level of concentration and a different level of consistency. Um, than I've known you to have before, you know, you do have a, a, a very creative mind. You get a lot of awesome ideas. And I think you've been more diligent about that. And I imagine
1: the way you're working with your morning routine is actually helpful. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, one of the, I can give you an example. Um, I, I realized, you know, a week ago or so ago, I'm like, I, you know, I'm a solopreneur. I'm like, I can't do this alone. I, I cannot do this alone. And so I took the mindset of, I have a team. I have a team. I have a team. My team's, my team's getting things ready for me. My team's doing this. My team's doing that. Just kind of fantasizing about it, visualizing, fantasizing. And I was talking with a buddy and he's like, oh yeah, you need to talk to, you know, so-and-so who uh, gets executive assistance from the Philippines and talk to them. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have even mentioned it if I wasn't going through that kind of play practice of I've got a team, I've got a team, I've got a team. Beautiful. Yeah. So
0: in terms of that's how you've come into the performance and habit experience, like, okay, it just started evolving for yourself. It started making sense. Mm -hmm. And now you've been actually through a vision you've had started to move it out into the world And I I had the opportunity to do your 30-day challenge, and it was fantastic. The the way you set up the whole program, super engaged, very valuable. Um, I have a morning routine now because of you. I have my own similar way of meditation, which is less focusing on trying to quiet the mind than to recollect my nature and myself and my sense of purpose each day. So I call it more like a purpose meditation. And it's, it's similar, but I would say different than yours. But I give myself a lot of space to, to presence more than to um, quiet. Uh-huh.
1: You know, because beautiful. It's, the, it's, the,
0: it's the beginning of the day. It, it's, the, it's the outset of the day. And so I'm, I'm trying to remember out of my dreams, who, who, <laughs> who, who, who am I today? <laughs> am I the same guy I was yesterday or 10 years ago? Or am I working on something that I'm going to be in 15 years? I don't know, but I'm trying to figure that out each morning. And it's a beautiful practice. And so Uh, I'm grateful for that. But I I would love for you to just give the listeners a few high-level principles of, you know, hey, when you're working on your habits, when you're working on your performance, (laughs) do this, avoid this, watch out for this.
1: So I just got turned on to uh, what are called first principles thinking. And I know some people are going to kind of like laugh and be like, oh, ha ha. It's, It's not a new idea. But first principles thinking is basically bringing any concept down to uh, its actual fundamental aspects and um, habits are absolutely like that so here's the way um, to think about habits most of most of your life is actually run by habits up to 90 percent of your life is habitual and that's a good thing because think of how difficult it would be to constantly have to pay attention to brushing your teeth or using your phone or, you know, kissing your wife or anything like that. Right. It's like all of these things are habitual and, and, and as a result habits run your life. Um, And the corollary of that is that you can really look at any, any result in, in your life, you know, your body composition, the amount of money you have in your bank account. Um, the quality of your relationships, all those are a result of your just day to day small activities that you do over and over and over again. What that means is that habits are extremely powerful. And what it also means is that it's really hard to change them and it's really hard to change them because they're not conscious habits by definition are running in the unconscious mind. You don't have to think about brushing your teeth, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah. as a result, in order to change a habit, you actually have to make it conscious. Um, and so, when people talk about, oh, it's so difficult to do good habits, um, it it is if you don't know the rules. Um, and the rules are is that you've got to make them conscious and then you have to repeat them for a number of times until that becomes unconscious again. So. I have a simple formula, which is basically the difficulty of the habit you're trying to create, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's meditation, maybe it's going for a run every day, maybe it's writing, or maybe it's something like having very transparent communication at work, whatever it is. Um, so it's the difficulty of the habit divided by the focus you put into it times the amount of time you repeat the behavior. hmm and so that is the magic formula. It's not 21 days or 66 days or anything like that. It's variable then. Completely, right? variable. completely variable.
0: You up you up your intensity of intention and your focus and time, it becomes easier. It's a right. hard, it's a harder habit. It's more difficult. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, and then and then the other and then the other part we don't realize is that environment is more important in environment and um, company are more important than just about anything else. You go to a bar, what do you do at a bar? You have a drink, you go to the gym, what do you do at the gym? You work out. Um, Those are, those are triggers that are telling you what to do where. So, you know, a lot of people are working from home right now. It can be really difficult to work from home because home is not by definition a workplace. It's a home place is undergoing a whole new habit formation, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Which is beautiful
0: because it's there's a whole range of opportunities that come along with that, but there's a whole range of failure. Yeah. <laughs> it's <ball>. all
1: <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> like like the COVID-19 pounds. Yes.
0: Totally. <laughs> I, I was out on the soccer field for the first time a few weeks ago, and I looked around and I could see where all the food on the shelves had gone. It all made sense. Like, okay, there's less on the shelves. Where did it go? (laughs)
1: Incredible.
0: Yeah. So that's that's really fantastic. And And I love your take on it. And I love your sense of, I mean, we've talked about this, the way that context, environment, in terms of what we express is absolutely a relationship people tend to take their health behaviors personally for a lot of reasons. They struggle, they tend to feel bad, but understanding context and situation and company, like you said, is super, super important um, for a lot of different reasons, but particularly on this area of focus of yours of, of habit and performance. The one that I like a lot and I think is really helpful is, is your shift from willpower to identity. Could could yeah. you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, again, there's this myth that we have, especially I think in American culture that uh, you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you can do it yourself. And, and you, you and I both know this. We've, how many patients have we talked to? And we're like, you know, you, you really need to work on changing your diet. And they're like, I know I just really got to change my diet. And You know, it's just the way they say it. You're like, Ooh, that feels difficult and challenging. Mm. And so it's like, people think that they can depend on willpower to make things happen. And that's a really, really poor strategy. It's a difficult strategy and it's bound to fail. And the difference between high performers and people who fail at that stuff is that uh, high performers use easy strategies to get things to do stuff. And so the identity piece comes in, in terms of, uh, who you think you are, and what you do when you do that thing. So you are a soccer player, you know. Jeffrey Ident- Jeffrey's a good soccer player. He's a great forward, and uh, we played on the said, same. I soccer said player. we were going to be truthful here. <laughs> you're well, okay, for over it's forty all right. guys. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> for not over bad. forty, you're a pretty good forward.
0: And for somebody who didn't play for twenty nine years between the age of ten and thirty eight or something that's like actually that, that's not amazing. too bad. Yeah, that's actually amazing. It's not too bad
1: you consider you think of yourself as a soccer player. And so you play soccer, but here's where it gets interesting is you can actually adopt an alter ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the power is because it makes us, it's so difficult to change who you are. And do you really want to change who you are? You know, you are who you are. You know, I, I like to tell the story of Beyonce, uh, the singer. And when she was a, when she was a teenager, Um, She was getting up on stage and she was very embarrassed about getting out and singing and shaking her booty and doing all that stuff. And she needed to do it in in order to succeed. And so she found an alter ego for herself, which she named Sasha Fierce. And Sasha Fierce was a badass. Sasha Fierce would go out on that stage and just crush it and shake her butt and sing like there was no tomorrow. And she had that uh, alter ego, I think, for fifteen or twenty years, and and then she came out with an album called "I Am Sasha Fierce." So powerful, yeah, super powerful. And then after that, she gave it up because she said, "I no longer need the alter ego. Sasha Fierce is now inside of me."
0: Amazing. And so we can do this by it's a so simply- alchemical. It's I oh. mean, the vi- it's so alchemical
1: in terms of like taking iron and becoming gold. It's beautiful. Yeah, truly. It really is. I I love that you say that it's, it is alchemical. And so we can do the same thing with, you know, I, what I recommend is finding a a hero. You know, for me, it's Nelson, Nelson Mandela is a Great. great hero of mine. Tell me why. And, you know, he's got this, he just, he's got this quote that says, you know, it says, don't don't admire me for all the successes I've had. Admire me for all the times I've been knocked down and gotten back up. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: I and went to just, his. Uh, I went to his uh, prison cell in South Africa on Robben Island. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Well, it was. It was amazing. I mean, I'm. I'm full of goosebumps right now uh, just thinking about it he he's, he's he is heroic at that level. Um, but one of the more humbling parts of, of that experience was going on the bus on the Island after getting off the ferry on, on the tour and sitting a row behind some elderly black South Africans and, and to be in their presence and know that this was, you know, apartheid was their living history, you know, yeah. and to be sitting next to them who had lived through, what they lived through as a culture, particularly on the, on the black side of the story was one of the most two, three, most humbling experiences I've had in my life. Um, but being in his prison, knowing he shadow boxed, knowing that they went out to the, the work where they did the, like the Sandy digging and they would go, they would pretend to go into the bathrooms, into the little caves they had cause they were out of sight of the guards and they would go in there and they would do momentary mentoring. They had all the different factions of anti-apartheid resistance and they put them all on Robin Island. So they started uh, exchanging knowledge and working with each other and building each other up. And these little micro moments of teaching.
1: Fascinating.
0: Isn't that powerful?
1: Super That's powerful. super powerful. Yeah.
0: Thanks for that really beautiful stuff. And for people who are looking for working with morning, uh, morning rhythm routines, habit change coaching, I would, definitely send you Jonah Larkin's way. You can find him at warrior.energy. Um, but I want to actually go from hero to father and uh, tell me a little
1: bit about where you grew up. So I grew up in Mendocino, um, in a little place, middle Ridge, up Albion Ridge in Mendocino County, uh, coastal rural, you know, when I grew up, it was kind of a mix of intellectual hippie transplants, um, which I would consider my parents would fall under that label, uh, fishermen loggers, um, which I would say, you know, if we're going to classify people would kind of be under the, the, the redneck type of, uh, mm-hmm. type of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a derogatory word. I or think it,
0: I, I don't know. It probably is, but I think what you're pointing at is there was a, a people who worked in the resource,
1: you know uh, the yeah. laborers around natural resources. Yeah, there was always a quite a bit of like interesting uh, both conflict and mixing of those cultures. Um, mm-hmm. You know between the hippies, the rednecks, the pot growers, right? You know, um, and all of that. So, so yeah, I grew up there, and it was a very it. Mendocino is a very different kind of rural town than many other places because there were so many, uh, intellectuals who went up there. And so it was extremely progressive. And so there's a, sp- a pretty wide spectrum,
0: not diverse though. Right. But intellectual kind of open-minded, uh, closed-minded, conservative, liberal, progressive, regressive, yeah. you know, spectrum Yeah, yeah all but, mixed but, together, but all white. What about Latin? folks were when you were growing up. Definitely
1: some Latinos. I mean, they're definitely Latinos. There were guys, you know, there was like several Latinos on my soccer team. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we had, you know, a a spatter smattering of uh, other ethnicities, but, Mm -hmm. you know, mostly, mostly white dominant Mm -hmm. culture type of stuff. So your
0: father he he was a transplant somewhat intellectual progressive where did he come from Both my parents came from LA Do you know what year he was born and what part of Yeah LA? yeah
1: yeah my dad was born in 40 uh 1943 and my mom was born in 44 So mm-hmm. so yeah so basically my the brief history of my dad is grew up west side of LA you know went to college in Southern California mm-hmm. Went to the was in the Peace Corps in Panama. That's where my parents got married. Went to New York, worked in the uh, drug rehabilitation services division in New York City when he was a, a, a young guy. Then moved to Mendocino. He and my mom moved to Mendocino because they wanted to get out of New York City. So yeah, that's 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 kind of his his brief, uh, brief history. There. That's, that's good to hear those details.
0: Um, were, did they move there before, like to start a family and go country or rural?
1: Yeah, they moved there because they moved there to start a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They were wanting to just not be a new, not raise a kid. My dad's like, I did not want to raise a kid in New York city. Um, and, and which is, you know, talk about, talk about values, right? It's like, I am so glad that he had that value. It just touches my heart because I, I actually believe that the reason I have a very calm nervous system, I believe that that is because of two things is because my mom has a pretty calm nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously I was inside her for nine months, but mm-hmm. the fact that I grew up in nature I think that there's nothing I, I don't believe that there's a substitute necessarily for that. I think being in nature calms your nervous system. It just provides a baseline and so I'm deeply grateful um, beautiful. to my dad's sensibility.
0: You 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 you're, you're speaking to one of the intuitions I've I I've had about in knowing you is that you remind me of this kind of famous Picture of a of a boy standing in the sunset with his face painted like the sunset. Did you ever see that card? I don't but, think so. And you also remind me of this collage I once made, and there was this young, just bright young person. But when you talk about your your calm nervous system and your your childhood, I, I I've always had a, this like more interior narrative around. I sometimes glimpse in relationship to you is this this good natured. Uh, youth. You know, I can kind of, I can, I can see it and I can feel it at times. And when you talk about it, I'm like, Oh, actually it's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it wasn't just like a projection of me. It was a perception, you know, or somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Um, But tell me a little bit about that, that childhood, that calm nervous system, the ocean, the redwoods, the Mm. Yeah. Give, a, give, a, give us a little
1: hint of that in a story or a moment or a feeling. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give a story of my dad. God, I was young, maybe five or something. My dad wakes me up in the middle of the night and he's like, Hey man, come on, come on. We got to go out and uh, we got to go out and, and, and watch the meteor shower. I'm like, what? So he takes me out and there's this big field out in front of our house and uh, we get in sleeping bags and like, you know, we, we watch a meteor shower <laughs> and uh, I'm getting emotional. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, we watch a meteor shower and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah. My the rest, rest of my life. I'll never forget that. And so, yeah. you Tell know, Tell me just, a little bit about the feeling in the moment. Yeah. the Well, there's just a, there's just a gratitude. And then there's also a feeling of like, you know, my dad's 77 now and like a feeling of like time passing. Um, he won't be around at some point. Um, don't know when that's going to be, but, uh, just feeling that emotionality of like, of like moments where I was touched and then acknowledging that to somebody else. I think is, is powerful.
0: I feel you. And thank you. I'm curious about the moment of touching there. Like, can you tune in or hone in to what it was like to have your dad rouse you and show you something so magical? And was it, were you feeling love? Were you feeling like God is inspired or were
1: you just, awe? like, do you have a sense of, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question because I think there were times that, you know, my dad really succeeded at fathering. And I would say that's definitely, there's a certain character he had in terms of like showing me things, um, especially things around the natural world and appreciation for that. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that really what that, what that, when I think about it, it was like, being kind of shocked in a way, like being woken up in the middle of the night, like shocked and then to be brought somewhere and like being shown the magic of the universe, like having never seen that before, having it be just something completely new, (laughs) not even on the radar, not even on the radar. Like, Whoa. Whoa, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, it was, it was just like yeah. great and inspiring yeah. mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, a feeling of real safety, right? Being there with my dad. Absolutely. Who at that, at that time, you know, my father was my hero. Absolutely. He was yeah. the idealized man.
0: Yeah. He found you and brought you into the world. Right. I heard you say that like he was character was good at, as you knew him to be bringing you and exposing you to the magic of nature. And, and, and and what else, how else did he find you or pull you or reveal
1: himself or or show or or or, or see you? He had a great amount of trust for me Mm. as a, 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 I, I felt like extremely competent Mm-hmm. even at 4 years old i felt extremely like like i could handle myself and not from a point of like having to handle myself but from a point of of being entrusted and the talisman of that was my dad gave me a pocket knife and i don't know how old i was i mean i couldn't have been more than 5 years old my dad gave me a bone-handled pocket knife. And man, to get a knife at that age? Wow. And he showed me, always cut away from yourself. Always cut away from yourself. And of course, you have to mess that up at least once. <laughs> Did you oblige in that? I, I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, why would... Yeah, go. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I, that is the talisman, but Mm. you know, I was allowed to go out and like cross the road and go to my friend's house and, Mm -hmm. you know, ride my bike and it felt very unsupervised.
0: I mean, that's part of the context of Mendocino versus New York, right? right? Right. Right. There's a lot of context and permission there, but what a blessing to, to get that at such a young age in such an affirmative way. Did that stick? that sense of uh, um, that relationship where he trusted you and he believed
1: in you? Uh, Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of it has stuck. You know, part of it, there's a thread of that that's still alive. And, you know, of course, a, a lifetime of being with my father you know, has 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 offered the chance for all the other stuff to come up, um, yeah. of me being very disappointed in him as a man, mm-hmm. as you know, uh, me wanting to be seen by him in a different way than he than he saw me, mm-hmm. um, of of rebelling against him, of realizing the can of realizing the conditioning that I have from him. Um, you know as as we get older we start to realize holy shit, that sounds exactly like my dad holy crap <laughs> right and so it's like the tension of like realizing that and not wanting that but not being able to do anything about it and like trying to trying to figure that one out that's a tough one that, that is it's a super tough one
0: yeah i probably hear you kind of going from the heroic to recognizing his condition and his limitations and like wait I'm being brought up in limitations that don't totally match it, match my nature and my soul. And I need to, you know, individuate push against. So when did he let you down and when did he lose sight of that part of you that needed to emerge? Like, how did that,
1: how did you make it through that? If, if at all, I think he, he, he let me down. I mean, I have a bunch of different ways that he let me down and, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of different stories about it. And one is uh, his sort of dominance over me. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, I think, and I'd just gotten back from, I was an exchange student in the Netherlands when I was a a junior in high school. Maybe I was 17. I can't really remember, but I remember one time my dad kind of laying the hammer down on me and being like, I don't want you going out and doing X, Y, and Z with your friends or drinking or smoking weed or hanging out with girls. I can't remember what it was exactly, but it just felt way out of place. It felt like something that might've been appropriate at like 13, but like at 17 or 16 or even 15, it didn't feel appropriate, especially because I'd been used to being entrusted my whole life. And so it was like this reversal where I was like, what the fuck is going on here? It didn't make sense. And I didn't know how to like really, I didn't know how to confront him because I was scared of him. You know, I was just like scared of, of, of his strength and all that. You He's, know? A and yeah, yeah, He's a stout and guy. Yeah. Intimid- yeah. And intellectually intimidating and extremely opinionated mm-hmm. and like difficult to talk to you know kind of a stubbornness and i mean part of the way that i speak is in his tonality and in his assuredness and so to anyone listening the assuredness that i speak with is actually not the assuredness that i feel inside that is a conditioned response in many ways i believe
0: wow, that's honest
1: but i'm able to chat i'm able to chal- channel it so that when i'm speaking i do actually believe it but when I sit down and, and, and open up, it's, it's not the same.
0: So There's kind of dilemma there.
1: <laughs> yeah. <I'll say. laughs> maybe even a, maybe even a complex.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm trying, I've, I, I've been really trying to speak in a more honest way from the heart. Yeah. As opposed to speak from the mind. And. You know, that habit, I don't know if that'll ever go away for mm-hmm. me, but, um, it's something that I strive to, to do.
0: Yeah. I think that's a beautiful, a very, um, sincere, sincere human quest, um, to, to be wholehearted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good learning. So we haven't even said
1: your father's name. Yeah. Steve. Great. Steven. Steven Stephen Merritt Larkin
0: 1943 43. Yeah. LA. Okay, cool. So, uh, so you were born in 72. So he's almost, he's 29 when you're born. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when he was unable to find you in the way you needed to be found, where did you go?
1: Well, I mean, I looked, I looked for other mentors in terms of, uh, you know, I looked towards my coaches, most of whom, most of whom weren't, didn't really fill that role. Um, I looked to teachers. I really only, you know, I really only had one teacher who kind of fulfilled that role. Mm -hmm. Um, Dan Bull, Mr. Bull. We weren't even allowed to call him by his first name. And uh, he challenged me and he challenged me intellectually like I'd never been challenged. And um, high school, college. No, this was actually middle school. It was Impressive. late middle school. Impressive. And, um, and, uh, he, he really, he really like saw me and pushed me mm-hmm. for my, for my best. And occasionally I did rise to my best and he acknowledged it. And occasionally I did not rise to my best and he acknowledged that too.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> and, I, I really want to stop there because I think that's such a great moment of clarity around essentially, performance and capacity, yeah. you know, that, that, that there is a difference, that, that, that there is a, there is a toggle switch and there is an impact and difference depending on what you're expressing. How, how long were you with, uh,
1: Mr. Bull, you said? I think I took a year's worth of classes with him. Yes. He, he was a, uh, he, he was, he was, he taught electives. He, he wasn't even, he didn't have a teaching credential. And in fact, the school got rid of him because he was too popular. <laughs> oh my God. It was, you know, your typical, your typical grossness. Oh, terrible. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I do want to just focus on that moment. So you had, as a young man, you had, you know, the start to see that there's other men who can mirror you, challenge you, bring you into um, your own capacity and knowledge. Were there other men that you started to seek and find, or was it- Yeah, well,
1: the other other person was my mom's boyfriend, uh, Joel Beek, who um, was just a really, is a really beautiful man. And he treated me like an adult at, at 12 years old, you know, and never, just never talked down to me. It was always as equals. And so that was incredibly healing for me. And I just had a great amount, have a great amount of respect for Joel. Um, and and he, he showed me a whole different way of, you know, because my dad was like a macho man, kind of, in many ways, uh, even though. It's it's kind of funny because my dad's actually my dad my dad's actually trans in a certain way so I I don't really have time to get into that now but um but Joel was a much different kind of kind of man he was much more kind of uh, I'd say intellectually curious about me and really challenged me and my beliefs I'm like really why do you think that and would engage with me on really deep levels as opposed um, to dominating you yeah intellectually kind of, yeah telling so, me how it is uh-huh, telling me stories uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so he was a bit of an antidote yes cool. absolutely cool yeah.
0: i want to start getting a little bit out of the the youth middle school high school and start getting yeah. into who you've become as a man you've had you know a good 25 30 years of of your adult presence in the world, what is the, um, what else is in there in terms of how the need for fathering, your relationship with your father, or your own way of fathering, even though you don't have children at this time,
1: how, right. how is that, how is that unfolded for you? You know, I think that I think that in many ways, if I'm completely honest, um, that I'm still looking for fathering in many ways. Um, and that I wish I could say, oh yeah, that part of my life is done. But I I think there's a part of, and I'll just speak for myself. There's a part of me that wants to be fathered and wants to be mothered. I think the more I accept that about myself, uh, the more secure I am in fathering myself and mothering myself. But you know, that journey has been a tough one because I was in involved with a spiritual guru for a while, which was not I wouldn't consider that a, a real healthy type of uh, relationship. I more gave away most of my power and and that was part of my learning. You know, my journey has really been to get in touch with my own strength uh, as a man. and you know, I kind of adopted some of my dad's uh, you know somewhat kind of like macho stuff but really I'm a pretty, I'm pretty soft, you know, I'm pretty gentle and I'm pretty soft. And so, you know, despite the fact that like I have, you know, muscle, big muscles and, you know, I like to surf big waves and, you know, do athletic stuff that some people might consider a little bit out of the ordinary, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very gentle soul. And, and, and so it's like, it's like this, me wanting to be strong and hard uh, on one hand and yet having to confront my own, having to just like be with my own sensitivity as well. And there's a way in which from a fathering perspective, I want to be seen for my sensitivity, Mm -hmm. but I don't want that to, I I don't want to be like, I don't want to be mothered in that way. Right. I I actually want to be fathered. And so that experience with Dan Bull, when I was much younger, Mr. Bull was like, no, you actually have more in you than this. And so there's this kind of constant, I think, searching for that sort of, uh, that thread of like, what else do I have inside me that I don't even see? What talent do I have that I haven't expressed what gift do I have that I can really bring out into the world? And um, so I think that kind of encompasses really my search for, for like the, the nurturer slash challenger of, of the, the father figure.
0: Wow. That's very, uh, that's very personal. It's very honest. Thank you. I don't want to try and uh, box that up. I, I think it just stands on its own. Um, but I really do hear your heart. I really do hear your, um, you know, maybe that you might say toxic or the the inferior or less conscious forms of, of the search. You know, I've had them in my, I've had them <laughs> still finding them in, in my own life. Like what, where, where am I coming from? And, and I think it's beautiful to own own that the hunger or the desire is there. And at one level I reflect on it and I hear the imprints of how profound they are. So we want them to carry on, you know, like they want that Mr. Bull or, or those, that those moments yeah. where they do show up and it's like, yeah, can life be like that more? And I, yeah. I'm still I'm still thirsty for that. I need a little yeah. another swig off that. It's not actually the kombucha I'm looking for. It's <laughs> 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 it's actually that is the drink, the elixir that 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 I want. Um yeah. and so I I I I really hear that and I hear the journey of trying to own that particular piece. And, and I can't help but think that. Some of that has to do with uh, male societies and, and, and ancestral hunter-gatherer um, expectations that I think at some level, emotionally, we still have. Um, tribe. If we were tribe, Mr. Bull would have been there a lot longer than one year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A- and, and the the balance in the masculine and feminine would be probably different. Yeah. Or there'd be more range of models. So, yeah. you know, I, I hear a little bit of modern context in the in the still seeking or the still desire for that particular flavor of experience. I actually just had, I just did my first uh, episode interview and I interviewed uh, a man who I've known for 28 years. He's known me for 28 years since I was 20. I had the best time hanging out with him. We have so much generational parallels, love of food. We're both uh, pigs, (laughs) both pigs in the Chinese Zodiac. We both have a child's like playful heart, like love kids. He was a kindergarten teacher. I'm like, give me five-year-olds, four-year-olds. I'll just chill with them all day (laughs) in the back alley. Like all the parents are watching me. I'm the monster going around, you know, I just like, so we have all these parallels, but the, the, the beautiful thing that happened was we went to the Redwoods and he wanted to see the Redwoods. He's about to move to the East Coast, South Carolina. And when we went there, I remembered being 20 and I remembered what it felt like to be purely growing. And he gave me back that understanding of when I went on my first men's retreat in Mendocino, in Philo, in 1992, the weekend of the Rodney King response riots, aka Uprising. And I have to say, I've been nourished all week. I've been feeling like, you know what? I'm not so bad. I know I I like, actually the choices I made have been good choices. And so he sees me. He sees me in a way and he saw me in a way. And I was able to see my 20-year-old self again and realize like, oh yeah, 28 years on, I'm still that guy. As much as I struggle with my, you know, parenting, partner, work-life, developmental stuff. I didn't really like go, yeah, I didn't need my fathering energy, but that was, there it was, there it happened. We spent 24 hours together or less and boom, you know, it's all, it's all flowering and I'm all like, I'm happy as, I'm happy as a clam. I've had a week this good since COVID started. So that's I feel you. Great.
1: I feel you. That's freaking <laughs> so, that's, a, that's so beautiful, man. That is so dope.
0: Thanks, bro. So uh, to, to to illustrate the point to empathize and to to validate the, yeah. the desire, and yeah. so so um, you're still getting a little bit of it
1: from your dad, little little presence, a little uh, non domination challenge. Yeah, nurturance? I mean we have. I mean it's interesting. Our relationship has grown a lot over the last uh, ten years. I'm at the point now where I I, I do just appreciate him for who he is. You know, my desires of being seen by him in certain ways. You know, it's it's just not as important as it used to be. And, you know, it's funny, and then he'll see me in a certain way, and and you know, he'll say something very touching. And then other times, you know, he won't. Other times he, he won't. And I'm like, hey, aren't you supposed to say the thing now? You know? Oh my God. Yeah. So, yeah, so save a thing, dude. Save I think,
0: a thing. Save thing. I think part of the thing is releasing, is releasing the father from the individual personal expectation that my father has to be the answer to all my um, understanding of manhood or exposure to the world. I don't think I fully let it go until my dad died um, mm. in 2003. Right. Wow. So, um, I, I, once it was then I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is done. I don't, I don't go to dad and say, Hey, you need to, or why didn't you? It's like, okay, you had your, your life. It's complete. And, um, and so the, the struggle ended for me, but I, I do hear you starting to work towards it. I hear you starting to actually mature at a place in your own sense of life that the, the transmission of, of father, you kind of understand. Yeah and and you can work with, and, and, and then you can also hold it as still a possibility without as much of the complex getting engaged in a way that you don't have control over.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it was recently my dad's birthday in uh, in March, or actually, sorry, it was, so it was a letter I wrote him for Father's Day. And I just was like, here's why I appreciate you, you know? And I just kind of went down the list and it, and it was very much from the heart. It was just like, you know, really not holding back. So that was absolutely, that was absolutely great to just write that stuff down. It was just like, yeah, about, I was like, here's why I appreciate you. I appreciate your values. I appreciate what you showed me through your actions, you know, through your actions. It was actually outside of our own personal relationship It was like watching him in the world. And like, despite what I judge to be all his fuck ups, the way that he has conducted himself as my dad's an artist and he's made beautiful art. He's a ceramicist, made beautiful art his entire life, you know, in search of beauty, basically. He's been a volleyball coach, uh, you know, years. And he's like 77 and he's still applying for college volleyball coach jobs, you know? And I'm like, that's fucking great, man. Like he doesn't get any of them anymore, but he's still like out there. He's still got the juice for it, which is like great. He's not like settling down. And, and I appreciate that about him so much. And so, you know, the way that he's really like worked to like touch people and bring people up and, and do all that stuff. And, you know, he's a very innovative thinker. I got a bunch of my innovative thinking him And he's always coming up with, you know, these crazy ideas that are like great ideas um, that he'll never execute because, you know, we both suffer from that, from that one. You know, just watching him like really be kind hearted and bring people up and coach and like just do it really, really well. And the way that he thinks, I'm, I, it still impresses me, you know, even, even now. And so that's been a great gift for me to, uh, to watch him conduct himself in that way. You know, it's, it's also allowed us to just be much more honest with each other.
0: So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one thing I've always admired about you is you're, um, you're not as threatened by real conversations. And I think that's because I think you have less trauma, physical, emotional trauma in your history than I do, which makes it exciting, makes it intense and powerful, but it's, it's harder for me at times. Um, So I've always admired that about your capacity just to talk about things and communicate. But I want to, I want to return back to Jonah. I want to come back to you. And uh, that was a great uh, to know about that part of your life, how you experienced your dad, how you saw him, things that work, the things that are working now and how you've evolved, matured, developed, adjusted. I just want to come back to you. And I want to come back a, a little bit to your life now, how you see your direction how you feel about your own form of uh, masculine giving in the world. And uh, yeah, just lay, lay the, lay the hope, the beauty, the questions.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, for a long time, you know, I was very much focused on like, you know, being a stud, like being, being as studly as I could, trying to surf the biggest waves and you know, find the hottest women and, you know, my own way, whatever, whatever way that is and compare myself with my friends in business and all that stuff. And I've succeeded to a certain amount and also failed. I've succeeded at all those things and also failed at all those things. And so I feel like as far as my own masculinity goes, that I know I can hold any space When need be, Mm -hmm. I may not be able to hold, hold every space, you know, but I can hold any space when it needs to be held. So there's, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of like inner trust and power in that to know that like when the chips are down and things show up in weird ways or challenging ways or difficult ways, or, you know, scary ways that I've got it. And, and that's actually been kind of a surprise, honestly, to find that about, find that out about myself. It's like, you know, even, even my girlfriend's like, wow, you're really good in really high pressure situations. It's like, I get calm when things go haywire, I get calm. And so, you know, that has nothing to do with like anything about me. It just happens to be the way I'm wired. And so I'm just extremely thankful for that. And like, I'm secure in that. And that that feels very strong. You know, when I really feel into that, I just feel like very capable. Um, and then in other ways, I feel totally incompetent. We don't have to I, focus on that yet. Yeah. You let's, know? let's go
0: back. Cause I, I, I'm just loving the story and I'm, I'm just feeling almost like a symbolic energetic archetypal level, the energy of your, your, your formation and Mendocino and, and the gift of the the bone knife, you know, that yeah. there's like, like that, those transmissions are fully being embodied by you right now. And, yeah. and, and that's, a that's a very important installation. I don't think, you know I, I think it is rare rarer than we would want for the 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 confidence and the values and the upbringing of the fathering and the family to to translate and not that you didn't have and haven't done work and won't continue to do work or have you know struggle parts but gets back to this um, core uh, science research it's the foods we don't eat, not the foods that we shouldn't eat and do, but the ones we should and don't are the ones that are the most damaging to our health. Everybody's yeah. focused on like the foods I should avoid rather than the things we get. And you got a certain nutrition as I understand it in your story. Um, that's really just beautiful to
1: witness. Uh, thanks, Jeffrey. Yeah. it, it It's, I, I you know, I appreciate the conversation with you because I actually didn't I knew the pocket knives were important. I mean, I knew that, I, and I even knew it consciously because my dad actually gave me a pocket knife when I graduated from college, and so it's been a theme. And even yes, even yesterday or the day before, I was cleaning off one of my knives, and you know, I have several knives, and I was like. I don't get rid of my knives. I I'm, I'm about to move and I'm thinking about stuff I'm going to get rid of. I'm like not getting rid of my knives. So it's <laughs> like actually having to name it, like really brought the significance into consciousness right in front of me. So yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It, really, really beautiful. Um, yeah. And I think, I think the other thing is that there's, you know, this realization, of uh and maybe it's because of my age or what have you you know i'm forty eight there's this realization of death, and uh nobody really, really close to me has died, you know um my grandma, but you know my both my parents are still alive, and none of my really close friends have, have passed away i mean I do obviously have friends who've died and stuff like that, but there's this like. I, I pulled a, a surfer out of the water a year or two ago um, and he, and gave him CPR and he he, he he died. And it was like a very close touch with death and this realization of just like, oh yeah, death, it's coming for us. Um, and it already is here. It's not even coming for us. It's just here. It's one of these things that's part of life. And so there's this sense I have that, everything's totally okay, no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, the world can be going to hell in a handbasket and climate change and all those things that are like totally breaking my heart in many ways. Um, because I just can't stand to see the earth, like be degraded. Like it is, um, there's this sense like, Oh, you know, it's okay. Like all the drama, everything else, like death is coming for all of us and that it's like the great equalizer freer, thing. And, and, and I, and I know that. And it's, so it's like, it makes me want to be ready for it when it comes. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure I'll be scared like anybody else, but I want to be ready. You know, I want to be, I want to be like ready to face it a hundred percent face into it and not try to turn away of like, Oh no, this isn't happening of just fully letting go into it. And you know, I, I've had enough letting go processes, but I know that letting goes is really, it can be quite difficult and challenging to let go. Like even when you want to, it can be really hard. And there's a process around that. Having, I think having that relationship, like death has become much closer to me in in many ways. And, and I feel, uh, I, I, I don't feel so scared of it. You know, I don't feel terrified of it. I feel like, okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going to try my best. And at some point this journey is going to be done and I want to face into that full on. So, That's kind of the circle of it. I think. Well, that's beautiful.
0: Um, I'm moved. It's good to listen to you. I think we'll leave it there not much to say after that one. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and,
0: and, and I think actually it's a good place to, to just settle the conversation. Um, but I do know, you know, there is going to be a, quite a number of years looking at your vitality, unless some strange misfortune happens um, that uh, you know, you'll be there doing your work and uh, given the gift of habit change, performance, living in Morro Bay, making the journey, riding the waves Still being <laughs> still being ripped in late 40s. And, I'm going to uh, try to hold
1: on to that one as long <laughs> as I can, man.
0: So um, I, uh, uh, I love you. I bless you. Thank you for being my guest today. Yeah, blessings on your journey.
1: Yeah, it truly is a privilege, uh, Jeffrey, to, uh, to be interviewed by you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Please follow us on your favorite streaming platform and share our podcast with your community and friends. All music is composed by the incredible Chase Jackson at chasejacksonmusic.com. To learn more about this show, our guest, as well as Jeffrey and his work helping people find peace with their human nature, go to howhumanswork.us. Until next time.